Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. I am with Zahi Karam. Uh, Zahi is the Director of Data Science at Bluecore. Uh, Zahi, welcome to This Week in Machine Learning and AI. It's great to be here. Great, great. Why don't we get started by having you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got involved in data science and machine learning. So my background is, is a bit of an interesting one for somebody in machine learning and data science. I started off in electrical engineering. That was my undergrad. Go double E. Double E, yes. <laughs> oh, amazing. Uh, so I was in double E and I got very excited about digital signal processing. And so I, that was my focus for my undergrad. Then for my master's, I stuck with digital signal processing, which is you know still very exciting. And then I got into speech. Speech is, is an interesting field because it started off purely in the electrical engineering realm, and now it has gotten into the computer science realm right. with the advent of um, algorithms, such as deep learning. Mm -hmm. um, so I got into speech, and that's how I got into machine learning. Specifically, my PhD was focused on semi-supervised uh, methods to improve on speaker identification. Okay. Meaning identifying or differentiating one speaker from another in a noisy kind of the party scenario or... Not in a noisy environment, specifically, how can we, uh, specifically the problem we're trying to solve is, can I tell, given a 30-second speech utterance, okay. can I tell who it is? Okay. And in a setting like that, you've got somewhat, uh, you've got maybe two or three utterances from the target speaker that you care right. about, but you also have a lot of additional data that is unlabeled, right, because it's not hard to collect speech. Right. It's expensive to label speech. Right. Right. So how do we leverage that additional data to do a better job at speaker identification? And, and really, it's, it extends beyond speaker identification. That's just the application okay. of that work. We've gotten pretty good at that. Now you can talk to your Google Home or your Alexa, and you know, the training is you know just saying, OK, Google, like three or four times, and then it can differentiate yeah. the different people in the family. This work in general is, is, has benefited from these competitions that provide a data set uh -huh. that companies and, and research labs from around the world compete. So it's very easy to get started with it. You've got the data, which uh -huh. is usually a tough part. Right. And then you've got a highly collaborative environment where everybody's, you know, there's yearly conferences and, and really competitions. Yeah. So it makes for a field that evolves very quickly. Yeah. So I was fortunate to be part of that experience. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and it was a highly collaborative experience. So that was my PhD. Then I uh, went to University of Michigan okay. for a postdoc. And there I wanted to stay in the machine learning world, but move away from speech and get into medical applications. Unfortu well, not unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> speech pulled me back. Okay. <laughs> and it turns out there's an interesting application in psychiatry mm -hmm. where 
bipolar patients, if you are a person with bipolar disorder, you can be have um, be normal most of the time, but you could also go manic. Mm-hmm. And when you go manic, you'll do crazy stuff mm-hmm. um, like buy a Mercedes, quit your job, right? Dance naked on tables, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and you're not aware that you're doing these things, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so that could have a very negative effect on your life. You could it, it takes on average two years to get back to your normal life after a, a manic episode. Mm. And on the other end, you could also go get depressed, mm-hmm. and then we all know the the negative right. side of depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so you've got the spectrum. And the problem with bipolar disorder, when you're depressed, you don't want to seek help because you're depressed. And when you're manic, you don't know you're manic, so you don't seek help. Right. So how do we identify ahead of time that somebody's going manic or depressive? Mm-hmm. So that's the problem. And it turns out that speech is an interesting, let's say, biomarker for that. The psychiatrist we worked with loved to say that I'll have uh, family members of, of people with bipolar disorder tell me, doctor, I knew he was going to go manic because I heard it in his voice. Or I called her on the phone and, and she sounded depressed. So I oh, knew wow. she was going to So not depressed. just an indicator, but a predictive indicator. Yes, exactly. So, it, so that's what we based the research on. And so we spent about three years between writing an application, uh-huh. a cell phone application that recorded only your side of the conversation because it's illegal in some states to record both sides sure. without consent, right? So only record your side of the conversation and analyze it for mood symptoms. And then we gave those cell phones to bipolar patients and tracked their phone calls over a year and you and, and then also tracked their mood symptoms over the, that year okay and then build um, a system that could recognize when somebody was going manic or depressive huh interesting so so that was that work and are the uh you know this is we're still like in like uh not at the core topic yet but yeah, i'm super yeah. interested in this is this were the signals the things that they said or things like pitch Oof. and tempo and kind of vocal characteristics or yeah. Something that's like even, you know, lower level than that? Yeah. So it's very hard to design experiments that protect the patient. And that is the most important thing that you have to do when you're designing experiment. Make sure Mm -hmm. that you're protecting the patient, especially a vulnerable population, Mm -hmm. like people with bipolar disorder. And so we had to make sure that the features that came out of the system could not be used to reconstruct what was said in these phone calls. Mm, Okay. So our feature extraction was designed in a way to make sure that you couldn't recover what was said. And that's important because let's say somebody goes manic and does something, then we have all their phone recordings and and that's Right. right. And, and, what if we knew ahead of time that something was going to happen? It, there's, there's, it gets into a very, first, you're not protecting the patient, but there's also the whole legal ramifications of it right, all. Right, right. Interesting, interesting. And so postdoc, and then? And then BlueCore. Okay, nice. Yeah. Nice. And so tell, what does BlueCore do? BlueCore is a decisioning platform for commerce. We help marketers 
find their best customers and keep them for life. We are a SaaS company, so essentially we provide a service for commerce companies and essentially we help their marketing team identify who to send the message to mm-hmm. and what is the best message mm-hmm. and at what time to send it and on which channel. And the experience, it sounds like the experience you had uh, working on the postdoc in terms of uh, the, the focus that needed to be placed on ensuring the privacy of the patients uh, has, has had kind of immediate ramifications on your work at Blue Corps and uh, has led you to doing some pretty interesting things around privacy. Yes, uh, I wouldn't say there's a direct connection between the two, but certainly, certainly I think that we should always be thinking about how can we make sure that we're preserving privacy in the data that we collect in a way that protects our customers, commerce companies and protects their customers, right? And in in the medical field, it's, it's obviously even, you could argue, more important uh, to protect the, the patients and the vulnerable population that we are trying to help. So, so, so yes, there's definitely that parallel there. The approaches are very different mm-hmm. in, in each of them. In the, in the medical field, we were using a lot of encryption, a lot of feature design that protected the content of what was said. At BlueCore, we are using differential privacy to try and build models that do not leak any information about the customers that we use to build those models with. Okay. And when you say customers, are you referring to your customers or your customers' customers or both? Both. Okay. Both. It's, 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 a, it's, it's a great question. and It's a very interesting question and one that, that we are figuring out as we go through this process, mm-hmm. but ultimately we want to protect both. Right. Right. Where we really see the value of differential privacy at BlueCore is that we have multiple partners. We've got about 400 partners. To, to be clear, partners are our customers, are right. the commerce companies that, that, that buy us. And each of these partners, we silo their data so that we are essentially protecting uh, each commerce company's data mm-hmm. from the other commerce company's data, right. right? Because we don't want necessarily to give, you know, if, if you had, let's say, two apparel companies, right, that are competitors, you don't want to give, I'm going to throw out names like Gap, you don't want to give it Express's data, right, and, and vice versa, right? So... We keep all of well, our there's data. kind of, there's, you know, like this base level security of you don't want the data leaking over from one customer to the next, mm-hmm. but you also don't necessarily, you don't, unless you're, this is part of the, your value proposition mm-hmm. to these customers and this is what they're buying. You don't want to give their competitors an advantage based on data that you've collected from the okay. one partner. Exactly. We, we want to be very careful. We don't want to give their competitors an advantage through our platform, right? Right. right. Essentially, we want to be fair to all of our partners, right. right? Right. And obviously, in the contracts we have with our partners, all of that is is in there, right? Sure. What gets interesting, though, is when you're building machine learning models or data science models or whatever you want to call it, 
the more data you have, the better the model is. And you could argue that there is an advantage if you could break down these silos. Mm. Mm -hmm. And there is an advantage that data asset becomes much more powerful if you can break down these silos. Now, how can we do it? And is there a way to do it in a way that doesn't give gap a leg up on express, mm -hmm. right? Or express a leg up on gap. Is there a way to break down these silos and get better models for everyone, but in a way where if you took out one of the partner's data sets from that pool of data, the model would not be affected. So mm -hmm. that means now each, each partner doesn't contribute enough to that aggregate model for them to be leaking any of their information to mm. the others, right? Interesting. So, it's so a I way think it's about the maybe exemplar of the problem as being, you know, if the model is impacted proportionally by the amount of data I'm bringing to the table, then the larger customers or partners are you know basically subsidizing the model performance of the smaller ones mm. right and so is what you're saying that differential privacy solves that helps you solve that problem that is what we hope differential privacy will help okay. us solve you're very right if you think about because the the other way of doing this is to get everybody to sign up for a data co-op right right Right. Where you're explicitly saying, I'm going to share my data with everybody else and I get everybody else's data. And that makes a lot of sense if you've got a lot of small players. But at BlueCore, we've got massive enterprise customers and then we've got smaller SMB customers. Right. So, the, so the, the enterprise customer might not want to share their data and mm -hmm. give an advantage to the SMB customers. Mm -hmm. right? So how can we make it so that that is a non-issue? Right, and and it's and it's very tricky, and there's this whole concept of well, you could do data anonymization, right? This is this is how it's typically been done in the past, where you obfuscate some part of the data. But that's not quite enough, right? Well, well this this is this is the problem. <laughs> anonymization doesn't guarantee privacy, right? And we've seen that over and over uh, with examples like the release of the Netflix data, and people were able to, even though the Netflix data had removed. It, are you familiar with the Netflix data? I. I'm vaguely familiar. So there was a, a data set that was quote-unquote anonymized, yes. but you can infer uh, individually identifiable information from the, the data set. Was that uh, the end? Yeah, so, so Netflix had this, this grand challenge that said we'll give a million dollars to the right. first person that, that can Netflix improve. Netflix prize. Yeah, the Netflix prize uh, that can improve our recommendations by X. Right. And so they released this data set where they, they had some data set of people rating real data of, of people, uh, their customers rating movies, mm -hmm. and they removed the identifier of the customer. Right. So you didn't know which customer rated what movie. Right. So they released that, and that's an anonymized data set. Mm -hmm. The thing is, some clever researchers said, well, you know what, that's not really anonymous because I can use this external data source, which is IMDB, and correlate the ratings from IMDb with the Netflix mm. data, and I was able, and they were able to identify certain people in the Netflix data. Okay, right. So hmm. 
anonymization doesn't guarantee privacy. Got it. So there's this recent field coming up that's, that's been coming up in the last 10 years that is around differential privacy, whereas how can you mathematically prove privacy guarantees, mm-hmm. right? And the, the basic concept behind this whole field is essentially you add noise. You add okay. some noise that makes it hard to recover the underlying data that trained the model. And the okay. basic idea behind it is I need to be able to have two data sets that differ by one data point. One data set has that data point. The other data set does not have that data point. And I should not be able to tell from the resultant models that I train using these two separate data sets, which of the two data sets the model was generated from. Right? So if I, if I have a model A, let's right. say logistic regression, and I use the data set that is missing that, that point of interest, and I, and I train a logistic regression model with that, and then I use the data set with the point of interest and I t- train a logistic regression model with that, I, shouldn't, I, I should not be able to tell which of the two data sets I used. Right. And that's the basic idea behind differential privacy. When I hear differential privacy explained, folks usually come at it from the opposite direction, which is you don't want me to be able to interrogate a model and determine that individual X was somehow used in its training. Yes. Right? I, it's kind the, of two sides of the same coin. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just another way of, of explaining. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah so, so the, so the basic premise is, is you inject noise at some point in the model training, whether that's at the feature level, at the model training level, at the output of the models. So, so that's essentially the basic concept at, at, a, at a very high level behind differential privacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, conceptually, I'm struggling with the idea that tens or hundreds of millions of people are going to have their data points, you know, in this model, and that, you know, even without differential privacy, I'd be able to learn anything from about Oof. one individual person with how huge the data set is. It's it's, it's kind of counterintuitive for me. It, 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 it is. I, I agree that it's counterintuitive, but a lot of the models that are being used right mm-hmm. now have thousands of parameters in them that get tweaked. So, so, for example, if you look at deep learning models between all the layers and all the weights, you end up with thousands of parameters, right? And so it is possible, for example, if you, if you build uh, an image recognition system mm-hmm. and, and using images to, to train that model, mm-hmm. it is possible for... <laughs> some of these images that you used to train to be for the model parameters to actually capture that image in, mm. in the, and you would be able to interag- interrogate that model and, and get back that, that image oh, or, or, or examine the model parameters and get back that image. So okay. while the likelihood of that is low, it's a risk. It's a risk. And right. the only way to guarantee that, you're, that that can't happen is through approach of differential privacy okay. where you inject noise right. and how much noise you inject and where you inject it um, is the art of it. And then you can prove to, to a certain bound right, right. that this model is differentially private and it will not give up you know, your data. The other thing that's a little counterintuitive for me is generally these models are the models are, are closed. I don't have access to the models, the model parameters, things like that. Is it 
Um, is it that, uh, and maybe it's both of these that, you know, AI can learn by, you know, interrogating the model just via regular inference, mm -hmm. you know, you know, and or B that the model parameters are leakier than I might otherwise think. Like I can look in the memory of my phone and see the model parameters oh, or something so, like that. So, so the leakiness of the, of the model parameters really comes up when, when people open source a lot of these models. Okay. Right. Like now when Google might open source the image recognition stack. Mm, right. Okay. And then that deep learning model, essentially what they're open sourcing is, is the weights of that. Okay. Part, right? And someone's picture might be in there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, got it. but the, the alternative <clears throat> is somebody could also interrogate that model and through that interrogation, identify, uh, uncover some of the training data that was used. Meaning a sophisticated enough approach that interrogates the model enough and you know with a and, you can and, design a, a coverage i guess of a way to interrogate the model to isolate exactly and you can also the other goal of defense privacy is it's not just interrogating that model mm -hmm. but also a malicious party might use external data side information to know how to, to to design a way to interrogate that model to figure out some if somebody was in the data set or what that person's features were in that data set. So it's it's three ways. You can either look under the hood and the parameters might leak some information. You can just directly interrogate the model, or you can leverage side data, right? So mm -hmm. for example, in the Netflix example, if you just looked at the Netflix data by itself, right. you couldn't uncover anybody. But then when you, a malicious agent could go to IMDB okay. and then use that right. to figure out, right. right? So there's that aspect too. Okay. So, and, and this is the tricky part. And, and, and you're asking the right questions, right? It's, we can't protect against everything and we can't foresee all the ways that a malicious agent could right. try and uncover this right. information. So. All these protections we try and put, whether it's anonymization or, or black boxing it, right? So you can't look at the parameters. All of these are, are, are good. They're mm -hmm. useful, but they don't guarantee. And the way to guarantee is again through this concept of differential privacy, right? So you are asking the right questions. In, in most cases, especially smaller models with fewer parameters. And mm -hmm. if you have a lot of training data, the likelihood that somebody could get at the individual training samples is, is pretty low, sure, but differential privacy gives us a guarantee. So now we are we are comfortable. We can say, I am comfortable that this model is not going to leak information. Mm. Does differential privacy or at least the kind of the, the, the mathematical framework that has been developed around it also allow us to assess a model and and put some bounds around kind of the, the risk for a model that for what, you know, pre-differential privacy? It's, it, it's very much focused on the, once you decide how and where you want to inject noise, what are the, what are the guarantees after that? Okay. Yeah. Okay. How do you see that uh, fitting into the mix at BlueCore? So at BlueCore, we, we have, um, there's a bit of a difference between how we're trying to use differential privacy and how it's, typically thought of, yeah. right? Um, because there's, our goal is 
to make sure that we can, or, or to find a way to aggregate data across these different silos mm-hmm. in a way that protects each of our partners' data, right? right. Um, and and that's where that's why it's it's a bit interesting, right? It's 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 a space that isn't that explored. All of all, the whole differential privacy space is is young, and then right. this is an application of differential privacy that is a, a, a bit novel, right? So it's a it's it's an interesting one, and and if and if we are able to do aggregation in a differential private manner, then that will make our models that much better. It will make the value of our data that much higher. And, and ulti- not at the expense of any individual partner. It, exactly. And ultimately, our partners will benefit. Right. You know, and in the end, we exist to serve our partners. Right. That's why they do business with us. Um, right. And so how can we make our models better, provide them value mm-hmm. without violating any any contracts we have mm-hmm. with them, any any whether they are written contracts or 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 trust, right? In the end, there's the legal aspect of what you can do with the data, but there's also the partner's willingness to to share that data, right? And and in the end, we want to be forthcoming with our partners with how we use their data and, and how sure. we combine it with other data sets. Right. So this is this is very much an exploratory phase. We are trying mm-hmm. to understand what we can do, what we can mm-hmm. guarantee, and what are the benefits of it. Mm-hmm. And through that, we will understand what the value of it is and then go to our partners with that value and articulate that value and get them excited about what differential privacy can bring to them, right, and how it can protect them. Yeah. Are you, have you engaged with uh, any of your partners around the topic yet? I'm imagining the you know getting a, a partner up to speed on kind of the you know even what you're trying to do like there's it's, you're trying to do something that's pretty innovative and you're trying to do something that's you know trying to do that thing using you know innovative and uh I mean not to overuse that word but like it it's cutting edge stuff I guess replace one cliche with another <laughs> well it, it is cutting edge and this is where our partnership with Georgian has been extremely valuable because we are a startup, we are growing fast, we Mm -hmm. have products we have to build, and yet we have to make time to explore these these novel and and cutting-edge avenues that that could, down the line, provide us significant value. Right. And our team is growing, but we're not necessarily big enough to be able to support all of these pie in the sky or, or, you know, futuristic models and ideas yeah. uh, alone. So the partnership with Georgian Partners has been crucial for us exploring this space. The partnership is, is twofold. The partnership is from a technical aspect where we've been working with great researchers on the uh, Georgian impact team, and they are providing a lot of technical guidance, running a lot of experiments. It's it's a full-on engagement. It's not an engagement where, where one party is removed. Sorry, one part one party is removed from the equation, right? It's, right, a, right. it's a full-on right. engagement. It's down in the weeds. We've had um, some of our data scientists come and spend time in in Toronto and, and in bed with the team for a few days. So so it's a full-on engagement with the Georgian partners team 
from a technical standpoint, but then there's also the legal standpoint of it all and the communication standpoint. How do you understand this landscape of what you can do with the data, what you can do with the data given the constraints of the contracts you have, and most importantly is how do you message what differential privacy is Mm -hmm. to your partners, to your customers, so that they buy into the idea and sign off on the idea. Right. Right. Because even, even if your even if your contracts allow for the concept of differential private aggregation of data and your partners don't necessarily buy into this idea, then we can't go live with that. Right. Right. In the end, we we don't want to lose our partners. Yeah, of course. Right. Our goal is to create something that's good for them not create something that we that would lose us our, our right. th- their trust so 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 just just to round that off uh, Georgian has been working hard on understanding that legal landscape landscape and understanding mm-hmm. how to communicate what differential privacy is mm-hmm. to to partners that might not have the technical depth to mm-hmm. fully understand what it is and, and how it's different from anonymization. Right. 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 People understand anonymization. They don't, and they don't, they understand anonymization and they might not understand the risk of anonymization. Right. right. And then you're telling them, well, there's this other thing called differential privacy right. where you're adding noise and it's, it's just, it took us a while to understand what it brings to the table. And, yeah. and so you can imagine people that aren't technically versed in the space it's it's hard to explain these things, right? I'm trying to envision kind of the the process that you're pursuing to explore this. Are you? I mean, it's it it sounds like it's kind of going straight from you know academic research papers to running experiments locally to yeah. Th- this is this is it. We are we are essentially in everything we do. We try not to reinvent the wheel. It has, there's a lot of great academic literature out there. Unfortunately, differential privacy is, is, is a weird one because it's a relatively young field. T- 10 years old is, is relatively young. And, mm-hmm. and most of the work that's happening in that field is happening now. So a lot of the papers that come out, you know, it's, it's, we have to constantly keep checking the literature to, to make sure we're up to date on, mm-hmm. on the latest and greatest. Right. And at the same time, a lot of the papers are coming out from companies and so they might not be fully transparent in everything they have done, mm. right, to allow us to replicate what's going on. Okay. So it's, it's an interesting world where we're trying to follow what's out there, mm-hmm. but at the same time, figure out where we need to innovate to make it work for us. Right. Which is, again, somewhat of a different use case than the traditional differential privacy use case or at least different concerns well there's there's that but there's also differential privacy is one of these things where especially if you're if you're applying you know i said you're injecting noise in certain places right right? if you're if you're injecting that noise at the model level at the output of the model Mm -hmm. then the choice of the model directly affects how you bring differential privacy into it so while the literature covers some models, it doesn't cover all models. Okay. So finding out what is the best way to do that. And then the, the, the ultimate challenge that we have is that just because we can get a given model to be differentially private, so logistic regression, mm-hmm. uh, there's some good literature about how to get that to be differentially private. Uh, 
that doesn't necessarily mean that it will provide value when you aggregate data across multiple partners. Mm -hmm. So that's where we found that we've had where there isn't much precedent around it. Mm -hmm. So we're figuring it out as we go along. Mm -hmm. So how do you take a model that you can make differentiate private through, through what exists in the literature, but then get value when you aggregate data across multiple partners? That's, I think, where, that's where it's been exciting for us, right? And that's mm -hmm. where the engagement with Georgian partners becomes extremely valuable. And do you plan to publish any of this or...? Is your focus more kind of on the commercial application and you'll kind of let the research catch up if you, in the areas you may have jumped ahead? That's a very good question. Uh, we, I think if there is something that is worthwhile to publish, I think it would be a great opportunity to share that with the community because it's, it's, a, it's a community that's, that's growing fast. Right? It's, a, it's a community that, that's still young, so it would be good to give back to that mm -hmm. community. And at the same time, I think it would be um, good to highlight the work that, that Georgian is doing and, and that we are doing mm -hmm. in this space. Uh, because I, I do think it's exciting that, that we are able to, as a startup, do this sort of cutting-edge work mm -hmm. and, and find some time, and, and especially with the help of Georgian, gather, combine those resources right. and, and make progress on a problem right. that is at the sort of cutting edge of, of, of what's happening right now. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's, nice, it's nice coming from an academic background and, and, the, and the people we work with at Georgian also come from an academic background. It's, it's nice to be able to, to keep playing in that cutting edge space, yeah. right? Even when you're in a, in a high growth a startup that needs to deliver products right. and, and, and show, <laughs> you know, right. And sell products and, right. you know, yeah. right. All right. So to, to wrap things up for mm -hmm. folks that want to dig into differential privacy a bit more, is there a canonical reference or two or three that they should be looking for or start with a Google search? <laughs> I, it's, 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 there isn't a good book okay. on, on the subject matter yet. Okay. Uh, I wish there was, it would make our life a lot easier. Uh, -huh. uh there's, a Google search, Google Scholar search would get you, you'd pretty much find everything that's out there. Okay. You know, there's not, the thing is there isn't that much out there. So, okay. yeah, it doesn't take much digging to, to get to the canonical papers. Right? Got it. Got it. Yeah. Awesome. Anything else you'd like to leave us with before we close? No, I, I, I guess nothing on, on the technical side. I think that it's very interesting. This is, this is my first experience at a startup. It's very exciting for me that we have partners that we can collaborate with. You know, in, in, in academia, you know, you, you always try and find uh, other research you can collaborate in with uh, that brings something new to the equation. And so it, it was very refreshing to be at the startup, at BlueCore, and find partners with our VCs, within our VCs, that we can collaborate with on, on a problem that is very exciting. Right. right, and while I'm new to the space, I don't think this is a very common theme. <laughs> uh, so I'm, so I think it's it's you know it's a it's a great opportunity for us as BlueCore, and I think it's also a great opportunity for Georgian partners mm -hmm. to work on this um, this very exciting work together yeah. uh, and explore it from 
the legal ass side of it, the customer sentiment side, mm-hmm. the technical side, and ultimately the application. Right. Well, Zahi, thank you so much. I really enjoyed the conversation and learned a ton about uh, differential privacy and how you're looking to, to use it. It, it. it was a pleasure. Thank you. All right, everyone, that's our show for today. For more information on Zahi or any of the topics covered in this episode, head on over to twimlai.com slash talk slash 133. Thanks again to our friends at Georgian for sponsoring this series and be sure to visit their Differential Privacy Resource Center at gptrs.vc slash for more information on the field and what they're up to. Of course, thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.